0: All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi,
1: and I'm Katie Halper.
0: And this is what it's our first full week of of Trump Trumplessness. Yeah, right.
1: I feel the democracy growing back in my bones.
0: Do you feel like tweeting a hashtag sleep? You read about that, right? No. How how sleep was was uh, was trending the day after the inauguration because uh, people were. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, wow. That's not a metaphor for anything like how we got Trump in the first place or being asleep at the wheel or anything like that. Or Sleepy Joe. Is that why I was trending? Because Sleepy Joe?
0: Maybe. I don't know. It's just it's just like a little tiny bit funny. Yeah. No, it's very funny. Yeah. But we're, we're, we're back in a space where like a tiny bit funny is okay. We're like, you know, again, this is the post-Trump era. I think I think we're going to be allowed to have a sense of humor. Matt is
1: much more of an optimist, I think, about this than I am, which is funny because in general, I would say I'm more of an optimist.
0: I think that's true. So, yeah. So, this is the first... First, first uh, post-Trump week, uh, the r- republic still stands. Right? Of
1: course it stands. I mean, stands taller, stands prouder.
0: Right. It it actually, it, I mean, it, it's standing like world. a motherfucker now, right? It's
1: yeah. Just, it's, it's like, like totally erect as a... Did you hear... Oh, I need to put this in. Did you hear it's Chuck fully Schumer?
0: engorged.
1: Did you hear Chuck Schumer?
0: No. What did he say? All right.
1: Speaking of engorged and erect yet, yeah, it, it is at attention. It is fully engorged. And no one put this better unintentionally than uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer.
2: Senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection insurrection (laughs) against the United
1: States. (laughs) I'm so glad I was able to show that to you for the first time. Oh,
0: my God. I wonder how many erection gaps there have been on the, I know. On the Senate floor. I, I mean, it can have been the first. But if it is the first, that's that's that, that, that that's that's an important history. moment.
1: Yeah, right? it was. Yeah. Well, we should mark them, actually,
0: right. and give them
1: how many erect penises up. <laughs> I give them <laughs> how many up. <laughs> do we do we, how many up or 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 two, two erect penises. Is it out of two? Because with golden hairs, when we used to give Biden's uh, stone moments, we would right. rate them as two golden, golden hair is like right? way, way, way up. up. So this right, is two yeah. erections way up. <laughs> this,
0: is, this, is, this is two two throbbing man shafts way up. Way up. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> way up
0: for, for Chuck. Anyways, a lot of stuff to get to. We have a really interesting guest this week uh, oh, who's yeah. going to talk to us about a story that is, frankly, one of the weirdest things that's happened in this country in, in years. And, and we couldn't
1: and, have had a better timing with it, right? We booked yeah. it before this broke out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, exactly. And uh, and it's it has nothing to do with, well, it does. It has, to do with everything, you know. it has something to do with everything basically yeah. we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and it's uh, very much his lane it's yeah it's it's he's he's very much in this in, in this world so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that story which for those of you who aren't who probably haven't guessed yet it's the it's the gamestop uh war on Wall Street between <laughs> basically between reddit and and uh you know sort of short selling vampires uh on the street and it's it's a hilarious and and like remarkable story on, on about 90 different levels. And we're going to talk to uh, uh, writer David Dayan about it, who's um, been on this story for a while and also uh is a long time long-standing uh financial reporter of some some repute uh expert on foreclosures. So we're going to get to and some an of editor that at the american
1: them. prospect
0: right exactly so we're going to talk about all that stuff uh but before we do uh, let's just well let's just plow through the uh, the four food groups and talk about some of the other stuff that's going on in the world katie what do you have for democrats suck uh, so for Democrats, oh, always a tough act- category. But I way.
1: know. Well, it's tough because you don't know what you want to focus on because there's so much. I mean, for general general suck. I may be punting a little bit to to David on this one. We're going to have David on to go through the the real um, the heavy. He's going to do the heavy lifting. Also, shout out to my man, um, my friend, uh, Bronco March from Jacobin, who's written a great piece called Yesterday's Man about Joe Biden. But he he I think some summarized this very well when he said, Biden, uh, some of Biden's high profile executive orders, the $15 minimum wage for contractors, one or today's one ending Department of Justice contracts with private prisons are either designed with loopholes or to delay action while making it seem like something is getting done. The drafters added enough hedging in the Dem platform that its word isn't being violated. They support and believe these things, but don't commit to doing them. But this inaction clearly violates Biden's personal Campaign platform. Yeah, what so, does that
0: sound like? That sounds like every news story from like the last thirty years, right?
1: So. Oh yeah, I mean in that way, America is back to normal, right? Right. The new right. normal. Yeah. Politicians like like low key lying as opposed to to overtly lying, and that's right. really what this nation is about. Right. So we're going to get into more of that with um with David, but I wanted to for, for this one, for what I wanted to provide you guys with was obvious pandering. And also an obvious uh, ripoff of Elizabeth Warren's um, big structural Bailey. So we now have a Twitter account. Uh, Dan, can you show the Twitter? And it's called the the Oval Pawfis. Oh boy. And it's the Oval Pawfis, and it's Pawficial Office of Dotus and Cotus, the fan page for Champ Major and Winston Biden, First Dogs USA on Instagram. Yappy our spot on the Republic.
0: I can't get mad at this. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and disagree with you on this.
1: Is this the dog that made uh, Biden break his foot, fracture his foot, or something?
0: I don't know. Did he? Which one's
1: major? Yeah, he fell. Remember something that like got totally got covered up, but he fractured his foot. I sound uh, like it got covered up. I don't mean covered up like it didn't happen, but it was barely. You sound like Alex up. Jones. I know
0: he was drinking fluoride out of the f- faucet, and then he tripped over his dog. And, right.
1: But no one. But they would not talk about it. <laughs> That's right. No one telling tell <laughs> you that, but me. All right, so you don't like you don't think this stymied. I just think it's this is a good example of how they're going to try to distract us with uh, bread and circus and puppies while Look, they do nothing.
0: I mean, I'm I'm in favor of bad puns, like the and the worst. The worse, the better, frankly.
1: Well, this one is, we're so excited and we just can't hide it. We're about to lose pawn troll.
0: Okay, that's thats not even a pun.
1: And we think we like it. Oh, oh my God, this is even be- worse. It's, its we're so excited and we just can't hide it. We're about to lose pawn troll and we think we like it. That's a Pointer Sisters. Yeah,
0: I'm so excited.
1: Paunter Sisters. See, I'm better at this uh, than they the are. Oh, the
0: Pointer Sisters. Oh, yeah, but they didn't it? even go for that joke. I know.
1: This is like a parody of me. Like, I don't get this bad with puns. In fact, I think you and I should be if you want to hire us. I think
0: your your puns are actually quite quite they're good. They're good, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, not none of this 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 I mean, I know we're supposed to just be pawning over all of this. <laughs> See, that that actually makes sense. It's so much better than pawn task. they just sound like they have some weird Boston accent the way that they write it out, right?
0: Uh, that's not even a Boston accent. That, that's Pawn-t- that's just yeah. that's just random. It's not even random. those aren't even jokes. Wow, I can't believe how how rapidly I changed my mind about that one, I was, you don't have to go overboard with it, you know what I mean?
1: But Dan and, and Matt, you got, just look at this, hold on. This is a great combination of everything that's wrong with the Dems. So this is another one. As our dad, POTUS, was on the phone with Vladimir, we had a few woofs of our own with the paw adorable Pasha, Vernie, Yume, and Buffy. We asked them to pawn Vince their father to stop doing evil things to good humans oh and to free God. Alexei oh Navalny. God. They promised they'll try their best. Okay, this is so off. Uh, Matt, can you describe it? You're better at, I mean, whatever. It's I just mean, Putin it's, in a snowsuit.
0: It's, it's Putin rolling around in, in a snowsuit with at least two dogs. But they're like mixing Russiagate with, with dog puns. I'm Obviously, not pro Putin on this whole Navalny thing, but but like. But
1: like, it's not even a coherent narrative. I know. It's like, I mean, in a way, I like it. It's much less belligerent. Do they think they're going to like, they're going to kind of, um, ah, shucks their way into changing Putin on certain things? Like, no, this is
0: like all just red meat for people who. For resistance libs? Yeah, exactly. Who just gorge themselves on. But they, right. You know, features about. Putin coming down the chimney and stuff like that.
1: But but what's weird is that like and actually that's kind of on brand because he's wearing red and white and in the snow right now. In this right, image. Yeah, but like, exactly. what's weird is it just makes Putin look like human. not. Yeah, it doesn't make him look evil. He's playing around in the snow and makes him a human, which is why I'm like, maybe this is their diplom. Is this diplomacy as opposed to is no, it, are they reaching so. out through the dogs? No. All right. No. anyway, it is ridiculous. It's weird. But we asked them to convince their father, to stop doing evil things, to good humans and to free Alexei Navalny. They oh promised they'll try their best. But isn't that I would be like a little weirded out and offended if I were Navalny. Because well, isn't that kind of like jokey
0: for. Uh, yeah, a little bit like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would love it if you send a couple of tank divisions, but instead you're going to uh, you're going to tweet a picture of a. Of, uh, Putin rolling around in the snow with his dogs but yeah but whatever you know what this is it's it's a it's a it's a pretty bad offense against humor uh, i I would say because like there's only like most people think that making no jokes is being humorless but actually being humorless is 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 doing this uh, you know, is sticking your, your, your hands where the, you know, and into this Pause. muck and yeah, you're pausing this muck and trying to make jokes where you really shouldn't. Uh, oh God. Anyway, it's, that's bad. That's a bad start for the, for the Biden administration humor wise. All right. I guess we should move on right to yeah. uh re- Republican suck some stuff to, I guess, choose from this week. I did want to point out, and this is not, people are going to call this a cop-out because it's not directed at the right Republicans. But, Dan, if we could see the announcement for the Republican Accountability Project. There was an announcement this week that uh, that they're going to create a new thing called the Republican Accountability Project, which is going to spend $50 million basically on messaging against, you know, sort of the wrong Republicans and in favor of the right kind of Republicans. Uh, And guess who uh, is heading is on the board of this, if you look down. So it's Bill Kristol basically is running this thing. And for me, this is clear. It's pretty clearly an echo of this thing that happened. So during the 2015 2016 election, there was the, uh, you know, Democrats hired Fusion GPS. Right. You know, this, this service to investigate Trump. And that started a lot of the sort of Russiagate stories, which in turn grew into this thing called the Democracy Integrity Project, which supposedly had 50 million dollars in funding to help advance stories about you know sort of Russia related Trump offenses this looks like it's actually a continuation of the same theme the Republican integrity project it's basically the same concept where they're going to they're going to spend a lot of money sort of propagandizing what they call principled republicans and then they're going to do a lot of things that are directed at people who are going to be talking about the electoral fraud or whatever the latest Republican conspiracy is, which a lot of people are going to say, oh, well, great, except that it's what, what they're really trying to do here is is sort of replace the Republicans with their version of Republicans, which are Bill Crystal and Lincoln Project. Types. Right.
1: Would you call him an architect, an architect of the of the Iraq war? Absolutely.
0: He was the I would say he was the intellectual progenitor of the whole thing. Like he, he way back in 1996, for people who don't remember this, he, he uh, wrote this article in for, Foreign Policy magazine where he proposed this theory of what he called benevolent hegemony. And the idea was that after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Americans needed to resist the temptation to cash in the so-called peace dividend. And um, instead of spending less on defense and spending more at home to sort of rebuild society, we should instead, instead rapidly expand our influence even more and make sure that there are no countries out there left that aren't under our do- domain or dominion. Uh, so the whole concept was, we just shouldn't, we, sh- we shouldn't allow any countries that aren't under our control. He he, he, he sort of lobbied against what he called Armand Hammerism, which was trying to have a relationship with a, with a, a non-allied country. Right. We should just control other countries. And then he, he used that as, as an argument a couple of years later to say we have to get Saddam Hussein out of Iraq. This was in 1998. And then all the all of that language ended up being used as part of the Bush uh, administration's argument for getting out of, uh, for regime change a couple of years later. So he was sort of the person who invented the regime change idea.
1: right? Which is why we definitely want him to be the face of the Republican Party. Right. Which is
0: and it's it's so amazing that that this guy and guys like him and David Frum are are now back in the good graces of, you know, sort of upper upscale, uh, upper class uh, liberals who just, you know, a couple of decades ago were thinking these people were like Satan incarnate.
1: Not even a couple let's say where we we're 2020. I mean, I would say 10 years ago, 10, even, right? 10 years because, ago, maybe even. Yeah, uh, I would say up until like through Obama years. Um,
0: through th- 2008, for sure.
1: For, yeah. And uh, these people have been, yeah, they're MSNBC Republicans. Right. They are
0: right. they've been too- completely rehabilitated. And uh, and it, it's it's been such a rapid transformation, too, because it, it's like a faulty syllogism. It's like, OK, well, these guys don't like Donald Trump, therefore, they're they're good. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. They can be actually horrible people, too. Right. right. Uh, and what if but, they
1: dislike him for the wrong reasons also? Right.
0: Right. And they, and this this whole thing, I mean, like the, the Lincoln project is was pretty clearly conceived as a way to um, it's like a hustle, basically, to, yeah, to squeeze we
1: that word is overused. But in this case, yeah
0: yeah i mean it. it is it's it's but in this
1: it's, case it's appropriate
0: yeah it's it's playing on the fantasies of of um you know sort of anxious uh upscale democrats to give money to their idea of what responsible republicanism is um and they they squeeze a significant amount of cash out of that now this is another one of those schemes Um, and these guys who, who were, you know, they were monsters, the the stuff that they came up with in the, during the Bush years, you know, in support of everything from invading Iraq to creating, you know, secret assassination regimes and all that, uh, and torture and everything else. Now they're all, they're all fine. Again, they're all welcome back in in polite society. and, And that's cool. I, I just don't get this. Like, you know, some of it is people who aren't old enough to remember, I guess, but, but most of them are. Aren't
1: they? Yeah, they are. And, uh, you know, Rick Wilson, we've focused on him on the show. He's an absolutely terrible person. I'll say that you don't have to go sign that. But and he I just want to give a shout out to Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, the second who I really want to have on the show, by the way. He, he's behind the moral movement, moral Mondays movement mm-hmm. and the poor people's campaign. He's really mm-hmm. great. And I don't know why he did this, but he went after the Lincoln Project yesterday or January 26th. He said talking has must not call it the Trump base. It's the Republican base. And even though those now in the Lincoln Project must admit that for years as Republicans, they participated in pouring the gasoline. Trump just lit the match. He didn't create the division and pour all the fuel. Project Lincoln, are you for restoring the Voting Rights Act? Or are you for health care for all living wages, just immigration law, justice for indigenous people? If not, then you must admit your policy positions are the same ones as the GO- same ones the GOP has used for over 50 years to divide the country. Trump inherited the division many Republicans created, and he exploited it all the way to violence
0: yeah, I mean that's the other thing is that po- when you get scratch the surface on what the policy beliefs of all mm-hmm. these people are you know it's it's i it's you know aggressive uh democracy promotion, you know interventionist foreign policy right. uh corporate deregulation, you know to the extreme and you know the, and they're and they're only virtue is that they're not Q followers right. and they, they don't believe in stop the steal and everything like that. So it's it's really unfortunate that the that these folks are coming back but it's part of this whole memory erasing campaign where we just forget the stuff that we cared about before 2016, you know, from, you know from everything from surveillance to uh right. you know income inequality to everything else, right? And and we're going to talk about some of that today with with David, but you know, a lot of these issues just get got during the Trump years. We have to we're we're back in this place where we can talk about something else now. And, right. uh, you know, we don't need to have be bringing these folks in, but whatever. But I went on long enough about that. So what do we have for uh, for isn't that terrible this week?
1: So for isn't that terrible? We have a and uh, trigger warning to anyone who's uh, doesn't like cannibalism. Um, but we have. This mean, is, kind-
0: is that really legit? I mean, is there, are there really people who don't like cannibalism?
1: I mean, you know what? I don't want to normalize cannibal phobia. You're right.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah, you gotta yeah. be careful.
1: Gotta be careful. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, look, I'm not pro. As people, as as listeners and viewers know, I've kind of built, carved out in a, a, a phil- philosophical, moral space to interrogate necrophilia. But like this, I don't have anything. There's nothing good about this. This is kind of a, a, a store, a story within a story. So reading at the New York Post, which is always a great place to to look at this stuff. Cannibal Cop Gilberto Valle or Gilberto, Gilberto Valle or Valle dishes on or Gilberto. I don't know what his name I don't know it's, really. I don't know if he's in Portuguese. <laughs> cannibal Cop. Gilberto Valle um, dishes on Army Hammer scandal. The former NYPD officer whose fantasies about kidnapping, killing and eating women stripped him of his badge and landed him in a jail cell doesn't have any advice for Army Hammer, but he's grateful to pass the torch. Army can carry the cannibal fetish mantle now. Cannibal cop Gilberto Valle told The Post on Friday when asked about the Hollywood stars fiendish fantasies that allegedly include barbecuing his girlfriend and eating her ribs. The situation uh, with me has been over for years now, and I'm trying to move on with my new life. It's so exhausting to keep being a punchline. Valle, now 36, was accused of attempted kidnapping in 2012 after his wife discovered reams of cannibal porn and detailed plots to eat her and other women on his computer and reported him to NYPD. Awkward. Soon, his quiet suburban life was shattered and he found himself on trial, desperate to convince a jury. His love of flesh was nothing more than a sick fantasy. In 2013, he was convicted of the crime. But the following year, a judge overturned the sentence, agreeing with Valle that sick thoughts were not a crime.
0: It's weird that I just mentioned Armand Hammerism in the previous segment.
1: I know Uh, that's what. Yeah, I know. Hammer, who was unlikely to end up in jail, is experiencing a similar fall from grace. Leaked DMs allegedly sent by the Call Me By Your Name movie star read like a Hannibal spinoff and include cannibalistic cravings like cutting off a woman's toe and keeping it in his pocket. Since the scandal broke, he's decided to step away from his role in Shotgun Wedding with Jennifer Lopez and even had to slash the slash. price of a home. I know he's selling by a whopping eight hundred thousand. Valle couldn't help but relate. In general, people in all walks of life have unusual fantasies or they'd never want to th- that they never want to have made public. Just because you're a cop or an actor I like that combo doesn't mean you're immune from being aroused by something that isn't as mainstream as other stuff. That's there are plenty. Right. Right. There are plenty of people who would be mortified if their friends and family knew what they were into. And that's just the way it is. Still, the stink of flesh is hard to wash off. Nice. He said. And while he's not sure what will end up happening to Hammer, he's definitely ready to stop talking about his past. I don't really have any thoughts on it. I don't know if he could be facing legal trouble or if it's just a kink shaming or if it's just kink shaming. I'm settled into my restarted life with new friends, all of that. And I don't want to resurface with that nightmare again. It's embarrassing and it takes a toll on me. He said while talking to the New York Post. Okay.
0: right. Yes, exactly. Jokes aside, there is there is sort of kind of an issue here, which is can we really criminalize your most inner, you know, screwed up thoughts. I don't think I've ever actually fantasized about eating a person, but. Uh, well,
1: what about yeah? Sure, but that that's an easy. That's very very black and white issue. But the shades of gray come in when it comes like this. Um, have you ever asked someone or wanted to ask someone uh, if they could uh, cut your toe off and keep it in their pocket?
0: I've probably. I mean, I've probably done that. No. Who hasn't? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I want to cut off one of your toes and keep it with me in my pocket. So I always had a piece of you in oh, my yeah. possession.
0: Do you, you want to just be closer to the person? Yeah, right? I mean, he's yeah. trying
1: to build a relationship. <laughs> look, a lot of men have uh, intimacy issues and are commitment phobes. And then what does this guy do? He asks to carry a piece of you with him That's all right. the time. He wants to never be separated. He's really overcoming a lot of boundaries, fears right. of uh, being it's controlled.
0: A, now it's mixed messages.
1: Yeah. Now, what can men can do, what are men supposed to do? Seriously, right? damned I mean, if you do, damned if you don't, damned if you do ask someone to cut off if say something that you'd like to cut off their toe and keep it with you. But also there is a difference between like planning to do that. Right. And saying you want to do that. Now, look, it's not my thing, just like I find necrophilia disgusting. Uh, but maybe I am going to have to start speaking truth to power about this too. And, and for people who haven't seen aren't longtime viewers and listeners to uh, to the show, you know, my thing is that it started out. It was not a plan. Matt shared a story about a police officer who molested a corpse. It opportunistically.
0: During,
1: yeah, opportunistically. It was during the height of the George Floyd protests. I kind of thought to myself without thinking, wow, well, if we're going to have police brutality, wouldn't it be great if it happened to corpses and not living people. Right. And from there and that and the rest, as they say, is history. And now I'm really thinking about how what the ramifications of that kind of out of the box thinking uh, will be on cannibalism. So I'll get back to you.
0: No, I mean, I th- I think you, you, you raise important points. I mean, yeah, you, w- would you would you uh, shun somebody just because I don't know, you discovered something on their computer saying, like, I I want to eat Cheerios out of Katie's head or something like that. I mean, that's we- funny
1: because that re- that describes my, how my last relationship started. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah, I would probably not want to be friends with them, much less date them. But I don't know if I would unless I felt in danger of like unless I had a fear that they legit were going to do like to my head what they did in The Man with Two Brains. Oh, the where they cranial screw, screw top. yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah. if i
1: thought he someone would do that to me in order to put cheerios in it then yes i would tell the authorities if not i would i would maybe tell my friends probably girl don't date him girl don't date him he wants to eat cheerios out of your head uh
0: all right so for isn't that uh isn't that weird there are actually a, a couple of things there was a a story we missed that i just wanted to bring up quickly because i i saw it in a list of another year-end list of weirdest stories. And I can't believe that we missed this, but Dan, can you call up the Ma- Madonna has donated so much money that she may legally become the EU's newest member? So Madonna pledged a million dollars million last year during an online summit held by the EU Commission, um, aimed at raising money to research coronavirus vaccine development and produce tests. And somebody joked that the the chief had now qualified to become a member state of the European Union uh online and as a result several serious news agencies actually thought that was true and did uh did news stories on that on that subject so so what we're looking at is a is a story from the independent that has a serious headline that madonna be- might become part of the e- European
1: Union oh my god <laughs> It's like the Vatican 2.0.
0: So if we could just look at the, at the lead sentence here, it's pretty funny. Uh, as if 2020 wasn't weird enough already, uh, Madonna may end up replacing the United Kingdom as a member state of the European Union. Because of an obscure EU law unearthed by politicals Paul Dallison, Madonna can join the organization because she pledged more money to fight coronavirus than several of its actual members. So that's actually not true but <laughs> You know, it's it's one of those fake news stories that got through last year. We, we, we forgot to mention it. The, the other really quick one, um, and this is a more of a classic story that, of a theme that's always satisfying, sort of right-wing conservative politician gets caught in embarrassing sex situation. Dan, if we could see the Hungarian MEP admits he was in a lockdown orgy. OK, a senior uh, MEP from Hungary, Hungary's ruling uh, Fidesz party admitted Tuesday that he took part This is back from back in December uh, that he took part in a lockdown party described by local media as an orgy that was broken up by Brussels police. Uh, Joseph Sager said in a statement that he was present at the private party, which at which, according to the Belgian press, police found 25 naked men, including an MEP and a number of diplomats. Uh, According to a press release from the public prosecutor's office, Quote, a a passerby reported to the police that he had seen a man fleeing along the gutter. He was able to identify the man. The man's hands were bloody. It is possible that he may have been injured while fleeing. Narcotics were found in his backpack. The man was unable to produce any identity documents. He was escorted to his place of residence where he identified himself as SJ by means of a diplomatic passport. He talks about how, you know, he's, quote, sorry, and then he, quote, deeply regretted Breaking COVID, COVID restrictions, quote: "It was irresponsible on my part. I'm ready to stand for the fine uh, that occurs." So uh, he apparently was on the sort of conservative side of of um, against some LGBTQI type bills, right? Uh, which makes this particularly funny, Mitch. right? Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at.
1: The Hungarian government has cracked down on LGBTQI rights. And last week, along with Poland, voiced strong opposition to a gender equality plan for EU foreign policy that seeks to bolster women's, girls and LGBTQI rights worldwide by challenging gender norms and stereotypes.
0: Let's just put it this way. You probably want to be keep mum about all kinds of issues if you're going to get caught with bleeding hands, leading leaving a a scene with 25 naked dudes.
1: Right. And we are so excited to be bringing on a friend of the show. he has been on my show a bunch. I know, Matt, you've talked to him a bunch. Um, David Dan, executive editor of The American Prospect, author of Monopolized, Chain of Title, uh, also the author of the unsanitized newsletter, only at prospect.org, and a great investigative journalist.
0: Yeah. uh, And I first encountered his work uh, back during the financial crisis when uh, he he was working on the stuff that eventually became the book, Chain of Title. And he was really one of the only people in the country who actually wrote about the foreclosure crisis, which was, you know, affected millions of people. Uh, And it was, was, for all intents and purposes, kind of a non-story in the rest of the media universe. And he, he really got into the nuts and bolts of how it all worked, why, Robo-signing was bad, like how people got kicked out of their houses unfairly, how mistakes were made, all these other things. And uh, so he he did a very thorough job of sort of tracing, especially with a lot of case histories, how that worked. But anyway, we're going to talk to him about some other stuff, including the insane uh, GameStop story, which he's been tweeting about lately. So uh, let's talk uh, to Dave Day. David, thank you for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Been a fan for a long time. Obviously, you and I have known each other for a long time, dating back to the whole foreclosure madness and a huge admirer of your book, Chain of Title. And uh, we want to want to get into some of that, too, because some of those issues are resurfacing in a big way with the COVID uh, situation. But uh, first, we thought we would sort of take advantage of your financial expertise to help walk uh, us and Katie and our audience uh, through this crazy news story that's some somehow uh, it's suddenly all over the news involving a company called GameStop. Can you can you help uh, just sort of give people the basics of what this news story is? Sure. So uh, GameStop
2: is a retailer that it's, it's kind of like a retail storefront outlet. And, uh, you know, like most retailers right now, it doesn't have a great business. It's uh, not doing terribly well. And as a result, the stock was really suffering. Uh, but it turns out that there are a ton of bored people during this pandemic, and uh, a lot of them are, uh, you know, shitsters, for lack of a better word. And uh, they have gotten together in these various groups. There's a Reddit subgroup uh, called Wall Street Bets, uh, and they've decided, almost on a lark, uh, it's it's almost like 4chan for the capital markets. They've they've just decided to bet up a bunch of these stocks, and one of them is GameStop, and it's kind of the most prominent of the genre. And what they're doing is sort of uh, a, a counterattack to what a lot of hedge funds do, which is uh, something known as short selling, where you're actually betting that a stock will go down. And uh, with respect to GameStop, these guys are, are, have all gotten together. They're all you know, day traders now. There's this app that makes it really easy called Robinhood, a lot of them are involved in that. And uh, they have decided, you know what? We're actually gonna bet the stock up. And in the process, they're screwing over these large hedge funds that have very large short bets on companies like GameStop. So this is this 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 hedge fund called uh, what is it? Melvin Capital. Melvin I Capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That has lost like three billion dollars this <laughs> week.
0: Which <laughs> is so yeah. amazing. It. it, uh, it, it- it totally is go ahead yeah i'm sorry
2: yeah i mean so much so that other hedge funds are coming to the rescue of melvin capital and just uh trying to trying to prop it up uh and it's just like i mean i i did do some some tweet about this where where you know imagining a hedge fund guy saying hey you you can't just get a bunch of people together and distort the capital markets that's our job (laughs) (laughs) that's that's what we're supposed
0: to be doing you're not allowed to do that (laughs) So they
1: got played basically at the game that they usually play other people at?
0: Sort of, yes.
2: That's a pretty good summary. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I mean, it kind of shows the complete artifice of the the stock market in general. It, It sort of just reveals it as nothing more than a gambling hall, not based on economic fundamentals in any real way. I mean, maybe sort of glancingly. But it shows that you can just sort of pump up a stock. I mean, what's funny is that our Wall Street is kind of reinventing the pump and dump scheme that that that, you know, financiers from time immemorial have, have taken advantage of uh, to 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 loot the markets. And and they're just doing it with with a Reddit and, 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 a, and a new app. Uh, so that, that's, that's kind of my sense of it. It just shows like the, the, the Potemkin village that is the New York Stock Exchange.
0: And it's become this amazing class thing also, right? Uh, because it's, it's, uh, it's a bunch of sort of random, mostly younger users in, 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 these, in these Reddit groups taking on kind of entrenched, already rich, uh, credentialed, Wall Street gamblers. Right. right? And uh it's the and only they've- difference. Like that's literally the only difference between these two is that,
2: you know, I have a seat on the exchange, whereas this guy has an app, but we're both doing the same, you know, robbing of, of the public markets.
0: Right. Or if anything, the, the hedge fund guys are l- less uh, legit because they're not even necessarily gambling with their own money. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but the 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 public perception that it's this group of, you know, kind of celebrated credentialed Wall Street professionals who are going to suffer like the tortures of the damned because they're in this terrible position uh the Schadenfreude factor is pouring more people into the market. Like that's become a market factor, right? right. It's right. it's it's drawing people from all over the world to bet the stock up. And what is it? It's like it, last time I we checked, it was at the beginning of the show, it was 350 or something <laughs> like that. And it started at what, seven? You- I mean, you're you're you hear the
2: term occupy Wall Street, and and this is actually it. Right? Exactly. It's- This is what it means to Occupy Wall Street is you beat them at their own game. And it shows that brute force is a factor in the markets. Uh, And, you know, that was what hedge funds used through the power of their own capital to their advantage. But now you have this accumulated capital from thousands of day traders, not tens of thousands, uh, who can just use that brute force right back. It, it's one of the most satisfying moments
0: of the last decade. It's really amazing.
1: How can we leverage that for good?
0: I'm sure once people realize the genie's out of the bottle now that, that this can happen. So I'm sure there will be people who will organize different ways to apply the lesson of GameStop. But, um, you know, for right now... I mean, it's happening yeah. in other... It's, NameStop is not the only stock where this is happening.
2: Right, AMC Theaters uh, having to. I saw Tootsie Roll, which who knew Tootsie <laughs> Roll was a stock like a publicly traded stock, but it is. It has the call. It has the code TR. It's like from 1906, and that was up 50 percent today.
0: Awesome. So uh,
2: you know, uh, it, it's it's unbel- it's it's really unbelievable, and you know. What I'm trying to game out is what is going to be the trade group pushback like on the hill to like try to get this stopped somehow, you know, like what is what is going to be the legislation that they're going to ask for to stop people from doing, you know, to to confine the practice of pump and dump schemes only to sophisticated people
0: (laughs) rather than unsophisticated people. I I don't know what what they're going to ask for. Well, I mean, that's a serious question because you can bet that there are going to be calls for like regulation of these Reddit rooms, right? Um, maybe there'll be some kind of a barrier that like, a you know, the, the, the non-governmental uh, regulatory agencies, right? Well, maybe they'll come, they'll increase the barriers for trading uh, activity, which I, I can't imagine that the day trading companies will assent to that. But, I mean, but, but,
2: but it's, like, it's like once it starts, where do you stop it? Like what right. you're really saying is there shouldn't be high frequency trading, right? Like at all, right. like because there, there are these risks involved. Well, if that's the case, then all of the strategies that hedge funds have used to Uh, massively ramp up their, their, uh, their takeaways and their profits uh, uh, go away too. So like, where do you stop it? Like, that's, what's going to be hilarious about it because they're going to draw this really artificial line as to who is allowed to engage in these strategies.
0: Exactly. And I mean, the, the other clearly funny thing about this, and this is like less, actually, it's actually less funny, but there's an element of like, um, you know, sort of French Revolution anger here, because the guys who are short sellers, they're essentially trying to put companies out of business. uh, And there's probably some anger towards, well, here are these Wall Street pirates who are trying to to take away a bunch of retailer jobs and let's just stick it to them. Let's put them out of work, you know? Uh, And there's a real class warfare element to that that could get pretty ferocious, I would imagine. I mean, it's not often that a company
2: is so uh uh perfectly tied to its name and and robin <laughs> Hood yeah. is literally showing that right now like they're, they're they are literally trying to, to,
0: to rot, take from the rich and give back to you know working class people and the other funny the, the yeah. other thing about this one, i think it, uh, it may be lost a little bit on people who don't follow these things a lot is the unique dynamic of why these guys are so vulnerable, which is that when you make a short bet, um, like if you bet long on a company, mm-hmm. if you if you invest twenty dollars in a you know in a stock and it goes down, the most you can lose is twenty dollars. But if you bet against the company, right. your losses can be infinite uh, because <laughs> the, 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 as people bet up the stock you you actually have to end up replacing all of that cash that you borrowed to 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 borrow those shares and so they the the high if they as they bid it up into these fantastic dimensions as it goes from 70 to 350 7 to 350 or whatever it is these guys are going looking at you know they they it creates billion dollar losses you know not just uh, you, you know million one million dollar ones yeah, so exponential. that's exponential. And, and there's a whole and there's a whole business that uh,
2: accommodates short selling it, it's uh, and you've written about it matt uh, very well it's called securities lending and and there's there's so there's the there are these counterparties now that are going to be potentially affected by this run-up in these various stocks because they have to you know uh, hit uh, find a way to grab the stock so they can pay it back you know i mean they're they're essentially, uh, you know, in some cases, they're, you know, what's known as naked shorts on the stock. They don't actually own at the time. Uh, yeah. And so they have to if they get a call, they, they have to actually go get that stock. And that's what this business uh, model, like the sort of ancillary businesses is based on. So, uh, you know, what's going to happen there? Like, how is this going to
0: cascade out? Uh, uh, you know, is, is going to be really interesting. Isn't that another aspect of this that's kind of pulling the curtain back? on you know the absurdity of how wall street normally operates like people are a they're seeing that there really isn't a whole lot to this like all all the all the myths about how the expertise of traders it it is kind of bullshit in the end right but also they're seeing like that there are lots of practices on wall street that are more than a little sketchy like there are way too many of these shares in circulation there are more, more more shares being traded than actually exist which is like prima facie proof of that naked shorting concept, which they long poo-pooed as, you know, a myth that never ha- that never happened. But clearly, that you know, there's a l- at least a little bit of that going on right now. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's absolutely right. I mean, the other thing that I think is, is really funny is that you have all this concern among market participants uh, for the fact that something is going up. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, no, this is not what we wanted. <laughs> Something is actually gaining in va- market value.
0: We can't have that. Anyway, we're going to see what happens with this crazy GameStop story. It'll, it'll go somewhere.
1: Shifting gears a little bit, David, you at the American Prospect wrote a really great piece that's called The Day One Agenda. The next president can use laws already on the books for constructive change without abusing executive power. And you kind of lay out all the things that the Biden administration can get done without needing new legislation. And then you have a more recent piece that you wrote, Biden's executive actions just scratched the surface. Implementing the implementing congressional laws is massively important to make progress. And Biden has the ability to go further. So could you kind of outline uh, where Biden has gone, where he could go and um, anything else?
2: I'll be able to talk more with a little more specificity about this in, uh, in the coming weeks uh, because we're going to put together a tracker uh, of, of all of the uh, executive actions that we recommended in our series, which was like 40 articles uh, 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 of things that Biden could do or any any president could do without uh, new laws, basically based on existing statutes. Um, and we came up with, uh, there's something like 77 different actions that we, we thought would be pretty impactful. And, uh, uh just to give you a preview, uh, Biden has done like, I think 11, uh, in part or all of, uh, of those actions. So, um, some of them, you know, uh, he's uh, certainly reversing some, some bad Trump stuff. Uh, there, there's, there's some. Positives to take away there. Other things kind of look good on the surface, but once you just sort of look underneath, it's not so much. So, so one example is uh, Biden uh, decided to restore an Obama-era executive order that uh, uh, ends contracts with private prison companies. Right. So uh, uh, private prisons, uh, 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 you know, manage and operate. Uh, corrections facilities for the federal government uh, at certain uh, federal facilities. Uh, However, it's not really that widespread in the prison realm. uh, About 9% of all federal prisoners are in privatized uh, facilities. Uh, However, if you look at immigration detention, there's a fantastic amount of privatization there. About 72% of ICE detainees are in privatized facilities. So, you know, the Biden team and the Obama team before him had two choices. They could say, let's end all contracts through the Department of Justice on private prisons, or let's end all contracts with the Department of Homeland Security on immigration detention. And of course, Biden did the former, which is the least uh, obtrusive of these, which is to uh, just end a DOJ contract. The, the, the Homeland Security contracts continue. And that's the majority of uh, the, the the where the private prison is getting its revenue from these days is through immigration detention. So uh, that's an example of one that's just sort of not what meets the eye. It's a good right. signal to say we're going to cancel all these DOJ contracts. Uh, but, you know, it's not really where the money is.
1: I mean, uh, is, isn't yeah. that how much of that is like, oh, it's good, but not far enough versus not that we can get into their people's heads, but versus like we're going to do this little thing and then we check off a box and now we don't have to do that bigger thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 constraint on doing the bigger thing, of course, is that there's so much privatization in immigration detention that if you cut off those contracts, you actually couldn't you would not be able to detain a whole lot of people, mm. uh, uh, at least not right away without spinning up a massive amount of uh, uh, infrastructure within DHS and and they don't want to do that you know that would cost money uh, 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 even though of course the contracts cost money but right uh, you know it's it's it, this is the dumb way that we uh, that we deal with uh, you know uh, public and private resources we think it's somehow better to privatize a service uh, contract it out, uh, that company then has to get a layer of profit out of it. So it could end up either costing more or they massively cut the labor in order to get that layer of profit uh, and make up or uh, safety well, or services. Safety right. or, yeah. And they just make it abjectly worse. Right. Um, uh, uh, but that's, that's considered more efficient than actually just distributing uh, or, or producing whatever the resources yourself um, so uh, I think I think that that Biden and Obama before him thought, oh, well, we, we have to be able to do immigration detention. So we can't cut that. Um, so uh, I think that's sort of where we're at with with that one as concerned. Another one was uh, the uh, permitting uh, and leasing on oil and gas uh, uh, of oil and gas and, and coal leases on federal land. So uh, Biden put in a moratorium on new leases, not new drilling, new leases. And of course, at the end of the Trump administration, there was a feeding frenzy of leases because they knew this was coming. So uh, oil and gas companies leased like a tremendous amount of public land right at the end. And none of that would be affected by this new order, which is just says we can't do any new leases for a short period of time, an indeterminate period of time, they might end up leasing after that. Um, Oh, it's
0: only it's it's not specified how long it's going to be?
2: No, it's a review. It's a 60 day review. Uh, but it does not say that they're not going to do it after the end of that 60 days. It, it, it's, it's unclear. So so that's another example where I, I you know, it's, it's a question. There's some statutory stuff and there'll probably be a court case around this. But it does seem like you could just end all new and existing leases uh, okay. on federal land. Uh, but that's not the 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 you know that would be a more aggressive tactic, and of course Biden has said that I'm gonna I'm gonna color inside the lines, which is to say I'm I'm not going to do anything that that upsets anybody with these
0: executive orders. Yeah. What what about the eviction moratorium? You wrote a little bit about that, I think, uh, and you know they 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 just continued that, and the the Trump's right. version of that, so, and
2: yeah. There's an eviction moratorium uh, that was put out by the CDC. It's actually as a public health measure, uh, uh, which is true, right? I mean, you don't want to put people on the street when they're supposed to be, you know, uh, socially distancing and things yeah. like that. Um, uh, but that order really uh, is very focused on non-payment of rent. Like, you can't kick somebody out for non-payment of rent, but other measures. Uh, could be used as a context for eviction. So if it's not breaking terms of the lease, uh, loud music, you know, like all of these things. And, and what we've seen around the country is that landlords will spin up some some context some pretext to get people evicted. And there have been thousands of evictions under this old order. So a lot of housing advocacy groups have said, hey, Uh, Instead of just passing, you know, extending the old order, let's actually tighten up this language so that nobody gets evicted rather than, you know, giving landlords a loophole and a way to get people out of various properties. And that's not what they did. They, they, They just extended the CDC order. Um, and so, uh, you know, it it creates the same situation we're seeing now. The other problem is there's no enforcement for this. So like if a state decides we're going to open up our housing court and we're going to just process evictions, even though there's a federal moratorium, there's not really anyone in the federal government that's assigned to say you can't do that. Um, and so we've seen, you know, from the very first eviction moratorium that was in statute under the CARES Act we've seen evictions uh, uh, because, you know, these states just decide not to comply and there's nobody really holding them accountable for not complying.
0: And it, it, I mean, it seems like the, the measure as constructed, I think you wrote about this, is um, it, it benefits kind of sort of large corporate landlords who have like an institutional way to, to claim that people are Uh, you know, are being evicted for some other reason.
2: Yeah, it it benefits them in a few ways. I mean, one is that uh, that they have large legal staffs that they can find the loophole that they need to find. Uh, The other way is um, so there's like money for rental assistance. This was in the CARES Act and is actually in the the more recent bill in December. Um, The way that money works is it goes directly to the landlord. So it doesn't pass through the individual. Uh, it's supposed to you know, cancel balances, outstanding balances and things like that. But the landlord has a role to play in actually securing that rental assistance. And so if you have a large corporate landlord versus a mom and pop, who's going to have more sophistication to be able to access that billion, multi-billion dollar pot of money from the federal government? Uh, that's been given, uh, you know, for the purpose of rental assistance. Obviously, the corporate landlords are going to be able to grab that money. So um, there, there there, are a whole lot of ways where it's kind of the, the, the playing field gets tilted. And uh, Matt, you know, uh, in writing about the foreclosure crisis, that there was this cottage industry that built up with these landlords. Like it was private equity firms, basically, on Wall Street that decided to get into the rental business in a way that they weren't before the financial crisis. So all these foreclosed homes were inventory around the country. They would come in with billions of dollars of capital, scoop them up, very hastily renovate them to, to make them presentable, at least at first glance, and then rent them out, sometimes to the same people who were foreclosed upon. Right. <laughs> like, uh, so there is this, this boom in single family rentals Uh, And it's now like an asset class, like it's a business uh, that never existed before the financial crisis. Um, Invitation Homes, which is part of Blackstone, Stephen Schwartzman's giant private equity firm, has about 80,000 homes. Uh, Blackstone still has a stake in it, but they they spun it out and went public. Um, More recently, uh, there's a company that's private equity owned called Progress, and they bought up one of the leading competitors So now they've built an inventory of about 55,000 homes. They're the second largest one of these single family rental companies. Um, But the fear is that post-pandemic, after you get through the foreclosure moratorium, after you get through the eviction moratorium, maybe mom and pop landlords are unable to, to stay afloat because they aren't getting a lot of revenue back, that you're going to see these large corporate landlords grab even more inventory and get even bigger. Um, and, you know, I mean, 80,000 homes doesn't sound like a lot, but they're only in like six locations. They, they, yeah. they concentrate their purposes in cities and uh, get a large share of the outstanding inventory in that city. And then they can move rents. They can, you know, they they, they can become the market essentially rather than moving with the market. So it's, uh, it's, it's very concerning and it, it's more concerning that, the the federal government orders uh, like this eviction moratorium are almost facilitating these corporate landlords.
1: And what about the minimum wage um, increase, which is going to take effect, going to effect in 2025, I believe?
2: There are a couple of different things that we're talking about. So okay. so Bernie Sanders and a bunch of people uh, uh, introduced a bill to increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2025. And, you know, that's somewhat common to these, these minimum wage bills. They, they, they have a ramp up period. Sure. Um, what Biden did, and actually I think this is one of the good things, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, is that he said that all federal contractors, as a condition of getting the contract, have to pay their workers $15 an hour. Which uh, is just like, you know, we talk about this in the day one agenda that the procurement uh, authority, the fact that the federal government is a big purchaser, gives them a lot of power to set the terms of those contracts and they have all the authority they need to do that uh, and they can mandate. Uh, More than just $15 an hour, they can say that uh, all of the things they buy have to be made in American factories and plants, which they did with a Buy American order. They uh, can say that, uh, you know, all of the energy resources that we purchase or all of the fleet that we buy has to be clean energy or zero emissions, which they did today, actually, with a, a climate based order. Um, they can even go further than that. They can say that, you know, all federal contractors can't use arbitration agreements against their workers. They can say that they all have to have sick days. They can say that uh, they can't uh, they, they, they have to allow their workers to engage in collective bargaining. Uh, there is a lot of power in the procurement uh, space. And it's very good that Biden has kicked this off with a few ideas uh, to to use that. Uh, to to leverage uh, some policies that he wants. So. So, I mean, I'm 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 pretty positive on that part for, for as far as Biden's go.
1: And then the um, can you talk about vaccines? Talk about Amy Goodman,
2: uh, <laughs> David, Dan, talk, talk about, about vaccines, a very Amy Goodman set up. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, the vaccine rollout certainly got off to a bumpy start. Um, The uh, federal government under Trump just sort of dropped a bunch of vaccine in the laps of the states and said, you go deal with it. There was no real federal coordination to get the vaccine out uh, across the country. Uh, A lot of state health departments tried to go through hospitals to to administer the vaccine. And hospitals were a little bit busy, like uh, trying to keep people from dying during the pandemic, like throwing a mass immunization campaign on top of that was uh, not not really uh, advisable. Um, But this has improved in the states. They've 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 figured out some systems here. Uh, Biden came in with an idea that uh, we would do 100 million shots. That's not 100 million people, but 100 million doses in 100 days, in his first 100 days. And uh, we're above that rate right now. We're tracking at about 1.2 million shots per day over the last week, which is more than, you know, the one million a day that uh, he needs on his benchmark. Um, The issue that we're going to run up against is, are we going to have enough vaccine? Yeah. So uh, uh, states are starting to exhaust their supply. Uh, There are promises from uh, the two major vaccine companies, Moderna and Pfizer, that they're going to get vaccine uh, uh, to the United States as per their their promises. But there's some question as to whether they're going to actually be able to make that. Um, uh, The the thing that's new is that the White House has said they're exploring options of just having other manufacturers use the Pfizer and Moderna uh, uh, ingredient list and, and just make yeah, the vaccine why not? and they can force that under, using the defense production act. Yeah. Uh, they can, they can force companies to and compel companies to, to, to produce already existing vaccines. And and they should have probably been done, doing this months and months ago so that we'd have enough right now um, to, to expand the rollout because, you know, any, any day that we get closer to normalcy is just a, uh, incalculable in terms of the public health uh, and in terms of the economy. I mean, if you can, you can open restaurants a week earlier. Um, So I think the problem is, is that one very interesting thing here uh, that I see is um, there was one federal program that was really left to large chain pharmacies to do, and that was vaccinating people in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. There was this partnership that they did with between the government and CVS and Walgreens, and they were supposed to get everything vaccinated. There's only one state that opted out of this this partnership with the big chains, and it was West Virginia. And West Virginia said, well, we don't really have enough CVS and Walgreens in our state to to do this this program with them. But we do have this network of of independent small chain pharmacies that work with assisted living facilities. So uh, we kind of have a natural experiment. Does big business uh, have these economies of scale uh, and are able to get things done quickly? Or do these smaller, uh, more distributed networks have the ability? Well. West Virginia got everybody in the state in an assisted living facility to get a vaccine about a month before CBS and Walgreens started (laughs) to go out to 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 these assisted living facilities because there's so much bureaucracy. Um, And it just like puts the lie to 40 years of having it rammed into our head that bigger is better that economies of scale create these these wondrous opportunities to uh, distribute things all across the the country and the world. And here in little West Virginia, which is not exactly a liberal bastion, they figured out a way uh, to do this without the participation of CVS and Walgreens. And they did it much, much better.
1: Shouldn't there be a demand for just I mean, the Defense Production Act? What could we what could people do to demand that kind of like um, go into effect? And also, isn't it time to just force these uh, companies to produce this for free now? I mean, if there's ever anything that we can kind of scare people about, can it just be what do we have to do like this is such an emergency? And isn't this the time to kind of force the like Jonas Salt discussion of uh, patents and owning the sun? And
2: I mean, here's the thing that's so interesting. So the federal government essentially paid for the R&D uh, for these vaccines. Uh, uh, the U.S. directly through uh, Moderna, they picked up all the R&D um, with Pfizer. They had a cor- they had a partner called BioNTech, which got most of its money from the German government. Uh, and then the U.S. did these purchase guarantees they said "Well, you know if you develop this vaccine we're going to buy 100 million doses or 200 million doses at x price and, at x price. and so you know the combination of that uh, took a pharmaceutical system that is usually very protracted and very it has very long timelines they uh, i don't know if we can invest this money or are we going to see a return blah 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 and it accelerated it to so the point that I, almost not even a year after this, this pandemic begins, we have a vaccine, which is incredible. But what it should do is it should cause a rethink of the entire right. process by which we create, develop and distribute uh, medications in the United States, this patent system that we have. Uh, The fact that there's a patent for things that the U.S. paid for and developed and guaranteed is absolutely ridiculous. And this is a huge problem in the developing world. I mean, rich countries can buy enough vaccine for their citizens. They can get it out. Uh, In the developing world, almost no vaccines have been distributed because they don't have the purchasing power. So they're last in line. They can't make Generic alternatives through their own manufacturing facilities because it, it, there's patent protection. Now Moderna has said, "Oh well, we will allow this patent protection. Uh, you know, we will give these patents anywhere to anyone who needs them." But they're not getting like key bits of the ingredient lists and things like disgusting. that that they could actually be used to create the, the, the stuff. Uh, and we see this all the time when where the developing world needs, you know, HIV drugs. And the U.S. says, uh, no, you can't make any generics because that would rob, uh, you know, our, our domestic manufacturers from uh, the possibility of profiting. So um, uh, it really should cause a rethink of this entire system. Yeah. Uh, why are we relying on private interests that are slow, that re- that that use public money anyway uh, to uh, create all of these. You know innovations that are life-saving. Uh, when we have a model now of the federal government being very muscular and getting these things done in a rapid amount of time, right?
1: And it's like it's so craven, um, and I get it when it's something like I mean I don't. It's not justifiable, obviously, in my opinion, morally or ethically, um, when it's anything, when it's HIV or, or anything. But like when it's a global pandemic, like. This is a global issue. Like, sure, people have different layers of privilege right, and access to medical care. And uh, if you're like not homeless uh, and if you're you can afford to, you know, this is one of these things, it's not a great equalizer, but they're also you're not totally immune. Right. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that go into account. But like, how do people not even these rich, greedy people who are okay with human suffering, don't they care at all about like um, protecting themselves from this human suffering or are they just that
2: Look, yeah, in a connected world, uh, you're going to need the the protections extended to everybody on the planet if if they're going to be truly effective. Number one. Number two, uh, even if you look at it in a craven capitalist way, like countries that are effectively shut down because they don't have access to this vaccine aren't trading partners. Right. I mean, you're you're not going to be able to get your goods in there. Uh, right. uh, in and and you're not able to hit the profit margins that you normally hit in these developing countries. You can't so, exploit you know, people they're, if they're, they're dying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I mean, any way that you look at this, it is a public good to, uh, inoculate the planet and to take whatever steps necessary. And, and those steps don't include, uh, you know, uh, making sure that you're maximizing your patent resource uh, uh, so that, uh, you know, India isn't, uh, you know, distributing this vaccine uh, without without you
0: getting a little take of it. Yeah. And, and one last thing for me, I just wanted to follow up on a story that you did uh, last year right at the start of the CARES Act, which was and I, I it was really interested in how this all how, Worked out in the end. It, when they first announced the uh, eviction moratorium, that you started hearing from home, homeowners that mortgage servicers were telling them to skip their forbearance programs. Right. It, it, basically, it was because the the bailout initially was kind of poorly designed and would have put these kind of collection agency type companies that didn't have a lot of capital put them on the hook for making like a year's worth of Payments to mortgage bondholders. And so rather than do that, they tried to force homeowners to take the cost on themselves. Uh, how did that all work out in the end? I don't, I mean, did, are, there, are they still having problems with that? Because it's, it's not as simple as just telling people you don't have to pay your rent anymore. There's a whole process that has to be gone through. And did they actually come up with a system that works?
2: Well, um, you know, I, I there are still people in forbearance programs. Um, there are still uh, uh, you know barriers on foreclosure, particularly from you know company uh, 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 mortgages that are held publicly or quasi publicly by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or, or things like that. Um, so uh, uh, you know, the the system is still kind of working in that sense. Um, uh, these these mortgage companies that you know their job is just take money and, and give it out to investors. They're in a in an environment where there is a lot of mortgage forbearance. They just don't have the capital to give it out, and 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 they're supposed to advance this money over uh, and then take it all on their books. Um, that's been a, a a kind of a dangerous environment, and it's it's you know I mean some of the this has been lifted because. We ended up propping up the stock market so much that right. people weren't as in bad trouble as, as as anticipated. And also, what we've seen is that this has been a very uneven recovery, where people that make in the top ten percent of uh, the income earners have have almost no employment loss, whereas uh, most of the employment loss is at the low end. And of course, when you're talking about homeowners, you're talking about people that know in a relatively high end uh, of the income scale so there hasn't been as much of a widespread problem with housing uh, as anticipated and of course uh, we've seen a housing boom in terms of purchases uh, second homes uh, 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 you know uh, homes in different areas that are cheaper but more desirable because of working from home changes Uh, So the housing market has actually been pretty good. So uh, that's something that wasn't necessarily anticipated at the beginning of the cycle. So I think mortgage servicers have been able to sort of work their way through it because of all these other factors.
0: And sorry, just a quick related question. Like I saw, well, semi-related, the year-end results for the investment banks last year were insane. Like, I think they posted something like $120 billion in profits, the biggest banks. And a lot of that had to do with something that this should have been obvious to everybody at the beginning of this sort of Fed-inspired right. rally, which is that there was this huge boom in underwriting fees. So basically, all this new debt issuance that's driven by Fed spending, it's like a gigantic subsidy for all these Wall Street companies. And I mean, I'm wondering if you're thinking what I'm thinking, which is that, you know, we're going to have a repeat after 2008 when kind of the bailout driven inflation of the economy sort of accelerated income inequality. I mean, are we going to have that same thing happen again after this? First thing I'm thinking is the Robin Hood guys need to get to work like
2: on <laughs> the in those banks. Um, uh, the second thing is that, yes, the the what we've seen in this pandemic and the recovery has been uh, an absolute stratification of wealth and income. Uh, and, and and even even f- much further than where we were even before the pandemic, which was very very high uh, in terms of income inequality. It's gotten much. Much worse. I wrote a piece that I called "Social Distancing" uh, uh, about this this distance that the rich are putting, uh, right. you know, themselves in away from. Yeah, everybody. they like lapped them, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 absolutely crazy, and and not even just economically, but physically. Like, you know, there's there are all these talk of uh, purchases of luxury bunkers or <laughs> like like different. That's why,
1: the, that's why they think that they, it's okay to do what they're doing with the vaccines.
2: <laughs> right, right. Fortresses in New Zealand and, and like, like <laughs> weird thing where they're 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 literally separating themselves from the rest of society. Right. right. So, um, uh, you know, that's just recapitulated in this economic uh, inequality. And um, so, you know, what's going to be the effect of that? Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the fact that. Uh, this, this mania can happen in the markets is indicative of some, some level of, of, of frothiness, right? In right, the of course. Uh, there's, another, there's a whole other uh, thing that's going on in the markets, which are these, uh, and I don't want to get into a very technical subject at the end of this conversation, but uh, there's these things called SPACs, these mm-hmm. special purpose acquisition companies. And all you have to know is it's a rich person that says, hey, give me a lot of money and I'll go buy a company. Um, And it's an evasion of the normal uh, disclosures that a a company would have to make if they go public. Instead, they just get bought by a company that's already public, even though it's not a company. They're literally called blank check companies. They are are companies that don't exist. They exist only to purchase private companies.
0: And get Um, around the reporting. Correct. Correct. So there were
2: more SPACs created in the, the first three weeks of this year than there were in all of 2019. Uh, it, it's absolutely nuts. This and and this is another level of just a lot of money with nothing to do, like just just chasing stuff. And that's what ultimately, I mean, when you get down to it, that's what the the, the financial crisis was about, right? It was uh, we have a lot of money, we don't know what to do with it. Housing looks good. Let's just throw a lot of money into housing and see what happens. Today, it's there's a lot of money, let's throw it into going on a spending spree and buying up a bunch of companies or, uh, you know, corporate debt or, you know, it's a few different markets. Um, uh, it's not quite at the same level of housing because with housing, you have the the sort of leverage that you get from buying a mortgage uh, that's much higher. Uh, but it, it is concerning. I mean, I, I, I do think that, uh, you know there you when you see crazy things happen in the market usually there's 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 something going on behind the scenes that's not great and there's there's you know a, a sort of wily coyote off the cliff quality to it where as soon as they look down they're gonna realize that they have to fall. Um, So, uh, you know, there's that that's certainly there, I think, uh, in our economy. Um, But, you know, the question is, we've now established not just through this recovery, but through previous ones that the the federal government has a has a has an interest in not letting any rich person suffer any consequences from uh, uh, from from any kind of recession, whether they induce it or not. Uh, And and uh, so. You know, the question is, you know, will extraordinary steps be taken once again uh, uh, to ensure that the potential consequences of the kind of thing you're talking about doesn't happen?
0: Won't the natural outcome of all of this be just widening public discontent as people start to figure out that this recovery, basically, if you own financial assets, you're doing well. And if you don't, you're getting the short end of the stick. And, and the it's the stick is very short during the COVID period, right? People are really suffering; they're having a really hard time. I mean, right now, I it, it feels like people just can't see that difference as much. But and aren't I they going to figure that out eventually?
2: I, I think that's that's certainly the traditional way that you that you would look at something like this. That that you're setting yourself up for massive social unrest uh, if if you have a society that is so you know uh, uh, stratified. I think in some way, like, like what's happening with this Robin Hood stuff is a reaction to this, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's like, all right, well, what we figured out is that, that you have to be in the markets. Uh, uh, the, these guys in the markets are getting absolutely rich and they're, they're destroying everything else in their path let's get together and, and, and screw them over a bit. And, and that's what's happening. I mean, it might not be at, at a conscious level, but that's sort of at the, at, under the surface, that's kind of what's happening. Uh, so that's an interesting and, and unexpected way uh, that, that uh, you know, an, a side effect of, of what's happening. Um, do you remember in like, uh, I think it was 2005, six, something like that, Citigroup put out this research note where they described the United States as a plutonomy uh, <laughs> uh, where uh, it was an economy basically so ruled by the rich that no- nobody else within the economy as a participant actually matter. <laughs> that as long as the rich were, you know, buying luxury goods and, and, and you know, hiring servants and, and, and things like that, that everything else would take care of itself. It was a research note to companies saying, well, what you really need to focus on are things that rich people like, because, you know, focusing on staples, that's only going to get you so far, but uh, it's only the rich people that have the purchasing power. So what you're going to have to do is make products that rich people. I don't want. remember that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the thoughts about, well, Uh, you know, if, if the vaccine hits, we're going to have this big recovery and, uh, there's a lot of pent up demand for, you know, people aren't going to restaurants, they aren't going to music venues, they aren't going to theater or movies, and there's going to be just this rush and there's going to be a big economic boom, uh, in the second half of this year. That that's what you hear from a lot of economic analysts that is kind of wedded to this idea of a plutonomy. Right. Because that's who has the money uh, and that's who has the pent up demand and the ability to spend it. But there's like this whole other if you look outside the aggregate, there's this whole other class of people that have really, really suffered during this pandemic. And you're relying on like a a bizarre version of trickle down to think that they're going to be the beneficiaries of this alleged economic boom because rich people want to go have cocktails again.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the, the larry summers way of thinking about it right like you have all this the, our, our potential spending is outweighing our ability right. to spend right now so that's why we're not really having a problem right? right. But that's only right. true for but a few it, people actually but.
2: exactly yeah yeah it's the tyranny of aggregates sometimes you know right you could call it um so uh you know what's going to happen uh, i i think there's the potential for social unrest there's been a little less than i expected but of course you know, everyone's been cooped up inside and it, it has it has, uh, 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 you know, kind of lashed out in ways. I mean, I think I think the George Floyd protests have have something to do with this, that that, that there was massive anger at a system. Uh, it may not have been directed specifically at Wall Street or anything like that, no, but there was this sort of massive anger uh, and it played out in that fashion. Uh, and I think the Robin Hood thing is, is 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 another component of this. So, you know, it's. Obviously, I didn't see that one coming, so I'm not going to say exactly what's going to happen. Right.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It is interesting.
2: Desperation absolutely breeds unrest. And, you know, one thing we've seen in the last year is unrest. I mean, maybe it hasn't been targeted uh, exactly at who you think it should be targeted. Yeah,
1: at. that's what we need to do. We need to redirect from, it
2: from Minneapolis to the capital. We've sure seen some unrest. Yeah, it's and, true. Uh, you know, uh, typically when you look at Company, uh, countries that have this this massive gap
0: between the rich and poor—that's that's what you get. And yeah. We should so. just tell everybody, issue a memo on both sides that everybody everybody should just go to Melvin Capital. That's where they should be. Oh. <laughs> it should, it should, yeah. Short. They should they should buy up uh, Game GameStop. That's what they should do. Anyway, uh, David, thank you yeah, so David, much. Yeah, David, this for, is
1: amazing. Yeah.
0: Uh, for for coming we'll on. To you for
1: hours now. And
0: uh, we'd love to have you on. You know, I'd love to at some point talk about. Um, uh, your, your last two books too so yeah. uh, the, Hooray, sorry right? to, to spend so much time on game stop this yeah, time but, uh, monopolize, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: monopolize you didn't you didn't give a shout yeah. out to monopolize, to monopolize of absolutely we each, well they're like we each have our favorite kids i prefer monopolize he prefers <laughs> fan of title
0: right right exactly we, will, we
1: love them both yeah
0: we'll talk about both your kids next time yeah well thanks guys thank,
1: no, thank you, so, you much. so much that was great love david dan
0: you're a very smart guy and really knows what he's talking about. And, you know, he's, he always gets to that next level of, like, granular detail on all these things that, uh, you know, most of us don't do. So that's, uh, that's
1: I mean, great. I only do it because I don't have the time. I hold back a lot. Right. That you don't exactly. know. Exactly. You know. just
0: don't want to embarrass your Yeah. Yeah. Your your, your, your audience. Your audience yeah, no, yeah. I get I get that. Uh, no, that was great. Um, yeah. Now I'm now I'm going to go have a tooth ripped out. Uh, so that's not so fun.
1: Well, thank All you right. guys so much for watching, for listening. Make sure you like, um, subscribe, hit the subscribe, then hit the bell. And a shout out to our producer, Daniel Halperin, and also Sheermag for the theme song. Make sure you rate and review on uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts.
0: That's right. And uh, don't do anything else except listen to that's us. It. Yep, yeah. Stay exactly in one place. And we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks. Bye. <laughs>
2: I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.